Are you guys with us? We know you are. So here's how you can help. First, share this podcast with your friends. We can't grow without you. Second, go to www.dmwpodcast.com and check out our merch site. I guarantee we have some great stuff that you're going to love. And your purchase helps support the show. Lastly, keep on leaving positive reviews and follow on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Deadman Walking Podcast. As always, we appreciate your prayers as we continue to bring glory to God. Exploring theology, doctrine, and all of the fascinating subjects in between, broadcasting from an undisclosed location, Dead Men Walking starts now. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dead Men Walking. I'm your host, Greg. I'm in studio with... Craig Twining. How are you, Craig? I am well. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Usually I do like a little intro, but it's always a little awkward if there's a guest in studio and they're just sitting there listening to me and, you know, talking to people and they're going, when, you know, when are you going to introduce me? And there's some guy sitting here in the studio. So we get right to it. You're a musician, an author, uh, an all around good guy and one of my buddies and uh, happy to have you on. Uh, it's great to be here. This is a <laughs> new experience for me. I've never been interviewed before. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, we're not going to do an interview. We're just going to talk, you know, and uh, we've been on plenty of church campouts together. We've been in men's breakfasts where we just sit down and we just start talking about God and it's pretty awesome. So it is. Absolutely. That's really what, uh, how this podcast started was I, I just really wanted to talk to other people about the Lord. And it was kind of, uh, I've always said it's a little bit selfish because I get to talk to interesting, smart people. Um, we talk about theology and doctrine and sometimes we stray from that. We'll go culture politics or comedy or something like that but or rv camping right? <laughs> rv camping yeah yeah we just had uh, james uh, white on and he that's all he talked about was uh his whole setup and he's out there hitting the road so that was pretty interesting but uh what's going on brother how you been i have been well um it's a busy time in life busy time at work uh yeah a lot of things going on at church as well and um uh, yeah you know, just try to keep looking for um like younger guys to encourage and exhort in the Lord. Yeah. And amen. Those opportunities keep coming up. So <laughs> remind great. me again, what, what do you do again? Uh, I serve as a deacon at the, Oh, you mean at church or at work? Both. I'm an Give electrical engineer at work. Okay. And I work for a robotic palletizing company and, uh, um, interesting. I've been there for 12 years now and, okay. uh, hope to ride that one out to retirement. So, <laughs> right. You know, it's a, it's, and then it's a great company. And then you and I both attend, uh, members of Christ, the word church yes. and, uh, you're a deacon there. Right? I am a deacon there. Yeah. I've been a deacon there for about eight years. Yeah. And uh, it is a blessing to serve the Lord in that capacity yeah. and to to be a, a help to the, the body of Christ. Yeah. You got a little theater in you though, too, because sometimes you're called <laughs> upon to do some skits. Yes. I have a uh, couple alter egos. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some of the YouTube videos. Uh, you know, and obviously musician too. Do you play guitar or bass? I can't remember. I play bass. Bass. Play bass. Ah, it's always good to know a bass player. Yes. They're, they're few and far between, especially when you find a good one. If you're in a band and you got a bass player, you make sure you keep that bass player happy. That's right. And you can always find another drummer. There's <laughs> always some lead guitarist that wants to show off, but you get a good bass player that can keep time. Yeah. You, That's right. You got to hold you on to betcha. him. <laughs> you betcha. How'd you, how'd you get into playing music? I'm always curious because I uh, play music. It's kind of an interesting story. Um, so back when I was in my mid to late teens, uh, two friends of mine 
had a band with a bass player, trio, power trio. Yeah. And um, between my junior year and my senior year in the summer, so it, it was a, the bass player was one of my best friends, and um, he died in a rather freak pool accident. Oh, wow. While me and my other best friend were there, and his parents were there, weren't there. Oh, and wow. it was, uh, but, you know, it was pretty that, traumatic. That, that, that How old a, were you? I was 17. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was very traumatic. Um, but I guess, you know, in the aftermath of that, I said, well, you know, why don't I take on the bass playing responsibilities? And so I sat in my room for probably two months and about three hours a night, just sit there and practiced and practiced and practiced and yeah. got good enough to play with those guys. Yeah. Well, you sound good. What was what was some of your, in, your music that you would listen to to get inspired to play bass? Like, what's a good band or a good song that you just go, yeah, I really like the bass in that? Obviously, oh. besides ACDC, because everything's drums and bass with them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Beatles, obviously. Paul oh, McCartney was yeah. just outstanding in his melody. Uh, Led Zeppelin, John Paul Jones. I mean, how do you, yeah, how do you top that? Yeah. Uh, that and, and some Motown. There are a lot of... Uh, yeah. James Jamerson was a just a great... He, um, he played on Aretha Franklin's uh, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. It just had a great yeah. sound about him. So, That's true. Yeah, Motown yeah. does have good bass lines, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking, too, like, um, there's some great funk out there, too. Oh, who's... Uh, uh, Godfather of Funk, uh, James oh, Brown. James Brown. Oh. Have you ever seen that video on YouTube of him live in Africa? Oh, it is when, when he co- he comes out and Michael Jackson is in the audience at one of his shows in Africa. Brings him up on stage. They do a little thing. Well, I'm sorry, that's after he comes out. But when he first comes out, it's in front of sixty thousand people somewhere in Africa. I can't remember. You got to watch this video. To anyone listening, it's just it's hilarious. He comes out. He's already dripping sweat. He hasn't even started yet. He's in a one piece <laughs> velour kind of like uh, almost almost like a wrestling onesie but you know the long pants bell bottom sure with the one piece with the top chest hair coming out right already sweating comes out spins around kicks the micro sta- microphone stand over catches it with his foot on the base flips it back up pops the mic out and come <laughs> it ever just goes nuts it's like he, he was like you know and say what you want about his music too but the performance level in this guy and you know he had like a little paunch he was old at that time he was not in shape you know what i mean it was it's just like you watch this uh video and you go what is going on and these people are just going wild but the bass lines in funk too i've always enjoyed as a drummer oh, yes. um i have you know um I have a kinship with my bass players because uh, if you don't have a, a, a bass player and a drummer that are like this, that's right. Nothing else really sounds good in the whole band. You know what we, I mean? We, <laughs> that was, that was our goal, you know, for me to follow the bass drum, you know, the, and just to, whenever he did a roll on the drums that I would try to do some <laughs> kind of lick that followed him along. So yeah, yeah you betcha. No, that's cool. So what we wanted to talk about uh, today is an idea we had a few years ago. I say we because it uh, back when uh, Jason Hamlin was co-hosting with me, uh, he goes, man, we should do – actually, I think it was his idea. He said, we should do like Testimony Tuesdays. Don't you love hearing te- – this was after we had like 10 guests on that kind of gave their testimony. And every time we would have someone on that did that, we go, man, we just – we're so edified by testimonies, by what the Lord has done, how they how he saved them. And uh, I kind of wanted to start this new series. I don't know if it'll it'll come out on Tuesdays because I guess you know I like uh, alliteration. So sure. Testimony mm-hmm. Tuesday sounds better than Testimony Friday. Okay, so it'll come out on <laughs> Tuesday. But um, 
I don't know yet. Uh, for those listening, we might do it once a month. We might do it once every other week. I'm not sure. But um, you're our first guest for this segment. I am honored. So, you, hey, I mean, honored, right? I mean, yeah, you betcha. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to talk to you because I don't know your testimonies. For all the other things that we've talked about in church and, like I said, at camping trips and men's stuff and all that, um, I don't know the process of how the Lord saved you. And I, I'd like to hear it. And I think the listeners would like to hear it, too. So... Um, um, how were you saved? Yeah, sure. And you know, oh, you're supposed you to say by the grace of God. Nope. Oh, sorry. That, that was supposed to be the answer. You're well, the, he's, he surely saved me. So, right? <laughs> just um, kidding. Go ahead. No. Uh, and whenever you want to ask a question, just be, you know, feel free to cut in. Um, yeah. I grew up in church. Uh, we, I grew up in Perrysburg. We attended a church That's that, Ohio. Yeah. that my great grandparents built. What? And yeah. So my great grandparents built, built a church, it, built a church. What denomination? Um, it was Evangelical United Brethren, which okay. merged then and became United Methodist. Oh, okay. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Covenant Real Estate. And why not? It's my podcast and my real estate company. But seriously, I've absolutely enjoyed helping clients buy, sell, and invest in real estate over the last 12 years. My brokerage serves clients in Michigan and Ohio, with more states coming soon. When I started this brokerage, I wanted to ensure that my expertise and knowledge would serve every one of my clients. I take my fiduciary responsibility to my clients very seriously. That's why I named it Covenant Real Estate. Not only is a covenant a contract in the legal sense, but it's also a solemn promise from myself to each of my clients. I will do my absolute best to serve you. It's also pretty cool that our name has some theological implications as well, which is a great conversation starter. And here's the best part. My agents and I have extensive experience in helping people buy and sell residential homes, buy and sell commercial properties, as well as investing in real estate and selling and purchasing recreational and vacant land. Covenant Real Estate can help you with all of your real estate needs, and I would love the opportunity to earn your business. So if you have real estate needs in Michigan or Ohio, call me at 734-731-GREG. That's 734-731-GREG. Or click on the link in the description of this podcast episode you're listening to right now. Remember, Covenant Real Estate. Confidence from contract to close. So it was the family church. My great-grandparents attended there. My grandparents attended there. Mm-hmm. We attended there. Yeah. And um, it was the thing to do. You know, every, <laughs> right. you know, every Sunday we were there. My parents sang in the choir. My mom was the children's choir director at points. Um, if there was uh, some kind of fellowship going on in the evening, we were there. Anytime the church was having something going on, we were there. And while I was there, I mean, you know, just as a kid, heard all the the Bible stories. Um, you know, it yeah. was a very typical kind of thing. What I don't remember, though, is us really cracking open the Bible mm. outside of that time. Like church was church, and then right, and then the rest of the, the, rest, of the week was just the rest, was of, the rest week. of the week. But you know, there was always you know there was definite standard of right and wrong. You know, sure, even the Ten Commandments um, and things like that. Um, and so when we first, my first memory is, you know, we had one pastor and who seemed to be really on fire, but I never really paid attention to the sermons as a kid. You know, okay, I yeah. was just kind of looking around. I mean, I sang the songs, I liked to sing, but never really paid attention. 
And then, so to kind of give a little background too, I was born in 1964. So my childhood is late sixties, you know, and into the seventies. Yeah. And probably in the early seventies, we, there was another pastor who came and uh, was a, a nice guy, but he was liberal. And the one sermon that I remember that he gave um, was about the feeding of the 5,000. Okay. And it had nothing to do with Jesus' miraculous feeding. It was, his take on it was, um, wow, this boy gave his lunch, and look at how it spawned the generosity of the other people around to give the food that they had so that everybody had, there was nothing miraculous about it. That, that kind of sounds, that kind of sounds like a me- Methodist sermon. <laughs> and, you know, as a kid, you're just like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, it sounded weird, but, you know, you didn't know about being a good Berean and going and checking the scriptures, you know, sure. and, you know, to see if these things were so. How old do you think you were, like, when we, like, oh, estimate, like? Probably six or seven. Okay, so maybe, pretty young, yeah. Something like but that. But still going, huh? But, yeah, it's just yeah. kind of, you know, I thought it was strange. But, um, you know, and that's, that's kind of the way it was. And, um Then in about fourth grade, uh, sometime probably in late fourth grade, a friend of my mom's invited her to an evening service at a Baptist church. Okay. A Baptist church in Toledo. And... um, she came home from that, and she she sat us down. She I don't remember where my dad was, but us kids were all around. And she said, you know, I heard something at this church that I haven't heard at our church, and I don't know really how to describe it, but it, these people seem to know God. Okay. Like they don't, it was like, I don't know how to describe it, but do you guys want to go with me next Sunday? And we're like, sure, yeah, we'll go. We'll check it out. Yeah. You know, our church didn't have an evening service that we were attending. Did um, she say what it was that they had said that she, piqued her interest? She really couldn't describe it, but she knew it was different in it. it okay. It, it, she just said it, it like these people had a personal relationship with God. Yeah. So we went the next Sunday and uh, to the evening service, and it was the first time I had ever heard somebody give a testimony. Okay. I, it was the first time I'd heard people giving prayer requests. Uh, the first time I, that, you know, there were people out here that were, you know, who were saying that God is working in their lives and that he's mm. personally interested in them. And then the pastor, I don't know if it was a, a Romans road sermon, but it was the gospel flat out. Right. And all I remember is when I heard it, instantly I knew it was the truth. Okay. That's, that's all I can explain it. It was kind of like the, uh, what is it? Romans 8. 16, the, where the spirit witnesses with your spirit that you're children of God. Yeah. And it was kind of like that. It's like instantly I knew it was true. Yeah. And um, again, it was, you know, it was the whole gospel message. You know, you're a sinner, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, you know, but that he provided the way through Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice. And so at the very end of the sermon, they gave an altar call, which was typical. Sure. And um, we were, I, I had this feeling like I should go up front. I should go to the altar. And I think we all kind of did, but we were landlocked. Like we had people on each side. We were in the middle. Right. And I remember looking at my mom, you know, she's looking at me and I'm looking out there and it's, and we didn't move. We didn't, we didn't go, but you know, we, I felt like I should. Right. So anyways, we, the service ended and I remember it was on the car ride home. That's all we were talking about. And uh, we got 
ready for bed. And when we said, was dad there or just mom and the kids? Dad did not go. Okay. I don't know where my dad was at the time. Um, he may, he may have said no to my mom. Like he might not have been, you know, because (laughs) this is going away from tradition, you know, thing. And, uh, but I remember at bedtime. Well, wait a minute. Was it your dad's side of the family that built the church or your mom's side? It was my dad's side. Oh, yeah. So you probably had a connection to the church too. I mean, it's a family church. That's right. Third generation, you guys, or whatever it was. Exactly. Yeah. And so I remember at prayer time, I said, Mom, I'm ready to accept Jesus. I want to accept the Lord. And actually, my brother and my sister, we all said at the same time. And so we prayed, you know, basically the sinner's prayer. And uh, I mean, it was kind of like night and day for me. It's like, wow, I, I, I know I'm going to heaven. I I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yeah, is this when you were like seven? So you said? about so this was going to be about fourth grade. So this is ten. Okay, ten. So, All right. Um, and uh, so there must have been some discussion going on between my mom and dad at the time because we still went to the Methodist church for probably another month, or at least my dad did. I have this vague recollection of, you know, maybe going uh, to the Baptist church a couple of times and to the Methodist church a couple of times. Right. It's kind of a transition. Transition. Yeah. But eventually my dad went to one of the services and I just think he was convicted because we ended up leaving the Methodist church and, and started going to the Baptist church. Now that the church itself was kind of far away from us. Okay. So, we ended up finding a smaller church uh, in Maumee, a small Baptist church that was just starting up, and and that was it. We we had broken ties with the what did what did all the family members at the Methodist church say when they were like, "Hey, we're leaving the family church," essentially? Because sometimes that can be a little you know a little strange, a little hard when it's uh, was it a smaller church? Was the Methodist church a smaller? No, church? it was it was actually fairly big, and and by that time, my grandparents were not um, in the area. They had okay. already, they were already like an hour and a okay. half away, and my great grandparents had died. You know, they they had passed on. Um, but our friends, you know, we had a lot of friends uh, at the Methodist Church. Sure. And I don't remember, you know, like if they called us and tried to get us to come back. I don't really remember how yeah. that went. It just seemed like there was just a, a break. Yeah. It was just a break, and we were Baptists now. All the Baptists out there listening right now are like, yeah, he went to Methodist church and he had to come to a Baptist church to get saved. Woohoo. I'm just kidding. No, and that's the way it was. And, you know, so for the next few years, a couple of years, anyways, we, uh, we went to a Baptist church and, um, so how and it, and it, and it was good. I mean, there was, yeah. you know, there was application of the word, yeah. you know, and there was, you know, serious talk about sin and, you know, the need to repent of it. You know, they used to have altar calls. And if there was times where I wasn't a, being rather well behaved you know, on a particular yeah. week, mom would say, I think you need to go to the, up to the, <laughs> to the altar, altar and, yeah. you know, confess what, <laughs> what's been yeah. going on. And I would. And it was interesting because they had deacons or elders that would come up and yeah. you know, read scripture with you, but they were they were gentle. You know, they dealt with yeah. you gently and it was a good, it was a good experience. Yeah. Now see, I grew up in the eighties and early nineties and uh, they, they loved the altar call. Yes. Even they did. in the, they in the did. even in the eighties, yeah. it was still going strong. It was like, Hey, you weren't treating your siblings right. I think it's altar call time. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was right. almost oh, like, it, a, was. it was almost like the evangelical version of like a confession Yes, sometimes. Right. And I remember that, um, which is fine. It, you know, it was, um, 
it, it was it was a time to set aside to get right with the Lord and confess and you know what I mean and those type of things which which is fine um not quite what we do now in our church or I don't think it's it's kind of fallen out of I guess I would say popularity but I don't see too many evangelical churches doing it maybe the maybe the Baptist and the uh, churches do the small Baptist churches but so anyway ten years old um. You you say the sinner's prayer. Say the sinner's prayer. Sinner's yep. prayer. Okay. Um, do you feel that there was a heart change at that time at ten years old? Do you feel there was a regeneration uh, when you when you confessed to the Lord and and um, and was saved? I do. I, okay. I think there. I think there was. This is so. This is where things get a little interesting. I felt at you know at that age I felt on fire. I mean yeah. I started telling my friends. Nice. Uh, and you know, it was the first time I thought. I mean, I thought everybody was going to want to know this. I mean, right? I thought, oh, why wouldn't Lord, they? Why didn't you want? And you know, then I got some ridicule at school, mm. and it's like, oh, I wasn't really prepared for this. Yeah. You know, I, and so I mean, I quieted down, I guess. Yeah. You know, but I was still, you know, convinced of the truth, and you know, still with my closer friends, you know, would speak, you know, about God and yeah. invite them to church and things like that. Um, and so that went on for a couple of years. And you're still at the small Baptist it church? Still at the small. Okay. Well, we did end up transitioning to another Baptist church, and I don't recall. It was a bigger one. Okay. Um, and I don't recall why. Uh, but still, uh, I started taking interest in the sermons, would start taking notes. You yeah. Know, I, was, I was really starting to get into it. So you were in a larger Baptist church probably for your formative years there, of like your pre-teens and teens? Then were you guys there for a while or? Close. Okay. So this is where things get a little interesting. Um, at the end of my sixth grade year, so we were we were attending, but at the end of my sixth grade year, uh, my mom died, mm. and at that point, it was that's tough in sixth grade. Just went right downhill. Yeah. I mean, just just like, plummeted. Like for you personally, or you and your entire family? I'm just, sure your dad uh, had your father had to deal with it. it was, your siblings, right? Yeah, it was it was very uh, it, it was traumatic. Uh, I mean, like all are, but you know, it was just um, and I don't recall exactly how I was feeling other than to say, I was like, what now? Yeah. You know, just, I don't have a mom anymore. Yeah. And it, and it was extremely sad and, and traumatic. Probably and confusing. Confusing. You know, was and there any anger there? I'm sure there was, yeah. you know, somewhat, but it was just more of this confusion. What now? What, you know, what is, yeah. what is, what, it, where is life going? Yeah. And, um, in the, in that summer, before seventh grade, um, you know, with all the sadness and stuff, my friend said, well, I've got something that'll make you happy. Mm. And that was the first time I smoked a joint. Yeah. And um, by the time eighth grade rolled around, I was I was using marijuana regularly. Yeah, regularly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you were what? Going into seventh, I mean, you were like 12? Yeah. That's pretty young. That's very young. Yeah. And um, yeah. It, so, it, so probably from that like confusion and hurt and pain, it was... And you're you're so young too. I mean, really, twelve years old is not that that old, especially when you know you think you are right. at that age. But then when I have kids, I, you know, I have an eleven year old and a thirteen year old. I go, gosh, they're still just so young and immature, and they need guidance. And you know, when I was sixteen, I couldn't wait to get my license. And now I go, oh my gosh, I, I wish they'd move the age to twenty five years old. I don't want my little girl in a car at sixteen. They just, you know, they're it's it's not that old. So you go right into. Um, from that into 
uh, marijuana use, so drug use. And then was there any, was there any like anger towards God or just confusion or just, I mean, what was, what was, and if I'm getting too personal, um, you don't have to answer, but what was the motivation for continue? You try, you try marijuana and then continuing in it. I mean, just, you like the way it made you feel or the friend group, or was it covering for some pain or all the above? I think it's, I think it's all the above. Yeah. It made me happy. It made me laugh when I didn't feel like laughing. Mm. Um, my friends were doing it too. It's very interesting. I mean, I look at 12 year olds today and I think, I can't believe that I tried it that young or I got into it that yeah. young. But the interesting thing is, is that I wasn't the only one. Um, okay. you know, I had friends that were that age and doing it too. Yeah. And I don't know if it was just the, the era, you know, the seventies and sure. some of the, but, um, yeah, I wasn't the only one. So there was a there was a group of us who would routinely, you know, get high, and most of them came from broken homes. So I imagine that there was probably a similar, yeah. you know, type of thing where they wanted some happiness too, you know, or yeah. some laughter. So and, summer into seventh, and then eighth grade, are you can you continue to use? But are you still going to church? Is Dad taking you to church, or what's going, going on? Still going to church. I at this time, I think my dad was clueless about what was going on. Sure, he was. There were just you know he was working full time. We were latchkey kids. We really were kind of off the leash in a sense. Yeah, yeah, kind of on your own. And um, And no mom, yeah. But we were still going to church, um, and the belief in in God, and you know, I was still convinced of the truth. Sure. But I just wanted to be happy. Yeah. So through eighth grade, um, you know, it just continued. And then between my eighth grade and ninth grade year, my dad remarried. Okay. Which is and a whole nother set of it was, could be issues. Yes, and yeah. and there were. Now this is kind of <laughs> and there, there were. were. And it's there were. interesting because you know I love my stepmom to this day and my stepsister and that all my step family there and but I don't think I don't recall ever meeting my stepmom more than twice before my dad remarried. Wow, I don't know where I was. And it's like I either I'm remembering wrong, yeah, or you know I just made myself scarce, yeah, and. And uh, so uh, it was, you know, they remarried and we moved into a house all together. My stepsister is a couple years younger than me. And then there's Lisa, you know, my older okay. brother. So it was one stepsister. The others, my other step siblings were already out of the house. They were old enough and they were, okay. they were on their own. So how many kids in the house when they get so there married? Was, so there four? was four. Okay. So yeah. my older brother, me, my stepsister, Lori, and then my sister, Lisa. Okay. And uh, how'd that go? Oh my goodness. Um, it was rough. We, it, we, um, Blended families are are tough, yeah. Mom was stepmom was not mom. You know, that's sure. she she was, you know, different. She, you know, it things were just too different. And and it's only been a couple of years at this point, right? Right. It's only been a couple of years. Since your mom passed. And I mean, I just descended further and further, you know, into drugs and alcohol. And to the point that pretty much through high school, I was high more than I wasn't, you know. So yeah. pretty much every day at school. Um, How are you doing in school with grades and stuff? Are you getting in trouble there or are you um, still? being able to maintain stuff i'm actually doing pretty good for whatever reason math still stuck with me and i i don't know (laughs) well you are an engineer engineer. so yeah you had (laughs) the it was hardwired india so but you know through my influence my stepsister got involved in drugs uh you know and at one point 
um, my parents, my my stepmom and my dad were yeah. seriously thinking about divorcing again because things were, we just made it so rough on yeah. them. It was just such a bad time, but they stuck it out. Yeah. And, uh, it, now they didn't know they, my mom was more wise. My stepmom was more wise than my dad when it came to drugs because her older, um, daughter had, had gotten into it. Okay. So she was aware. And so there was one time where my parents went out, uh, on a, probably on a dinner date or something. And we all got high and I don't, it, this was the Lord's doing, but for whatever reason, I left an album with all the weed out on the table <laughs> and I went into my bedroom to listen to tunes on a headphones and my parents came home and it was just sitting right out for them. Right. And no hiding it. Oh my word. It was, that was a, a bad night, but it, it also was one of the most memorable punishments that my parents ever gave all of us. We had to write the book of Proverbs out. We were all <laughs> grounded for a month. We had yeah. to write the book of Proverbs out, you know, a chapter a day and then read it at the dinner table. Yeah. How old were you when that happened? Probably about 15. Okay. 15. 15 something like that. I don't think I have my license yet. Yeah. So where are you at like uh, spiritually, like personally during this time? So from 12 to 15, 16, or, you know, when this is going on those years, is it just, you're just, are you just clocking in at church? Do you have any type of relationship with Christ? Any reading the Bible on your own or witnessing or Bible studies or anything like that? Or is it, are you just playing, are you playing the, the good It was all Christian? Mental. It was all mental, mostly. I mean, okay. if somebody asked me I was a Christian, I would say yes. Sure. Uh, but there was no fruit. Right. Uh, there was no witnessing. Um, you know, I thought that the kids in the youth group in church were hypocrites or mm. that they just didn't understand. Yeah. You know, they, they hadn't a clue about what was going on in life. Yeah. And, in the real world. Uh, and so I just distanced myself from them and just hung up with the people who, yeah. you know. So how long did that last? The, the using drugs and drinking and stuff, was it into your, into adulthood through your teens and into your adulthood? So like yeah. early adulthood? It, um, it, it continued on and, you know, I mean, my parents busted me so many times with, with drugs and, yeah. you know, they kept threatening me. They threatened to send me to a Christian school. One time a Christian high school, I said, well, you know, if you do, I'm just going to smoke a joint in classroom and get kicked out. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, Jeez. I mean, I was, I was that rebellious and yeah. I, I mean, this is, I'm not proud to say this when I'm saying this, right? you know, if, if, if anything, you know, my, my admonition is don't do what I did. Yeah. You know, I was a fool. I was stupid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it continued on and it got to the point where my parents really, I mean, they prayed and prayed and prayed over us, but they pretty much left it up to the Lord. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, they knew what I was doing now. So after high school, I got a full-time job. And, um, at some point it w it was a manual labor full-time job. And at that time was also when I started getting into music and playing in the band and had these, um, delusions of grandeur that we were going to be the first Toledo band to make it like <laughs> right. every other Toledo band that ever did, which is none, you know, <laughs> right. and yeah. it just, you know, I, you know, I don't know why we thought we would be the ones, but you know, that was it. Yeah. And, but three years out of high school, I was working this job. Job, and my parents sat me down at the table and said, you know, we believe you have brains and that you're not using them. Yeah. And you've got a choice. You can either move out and continue working what you're doing, or you can go back to school. Okay. And I took that seriously. I said, I'm going to school. Yeah. And at that time, I I I knew what I wanted to do. I liked like the electronics, the engineering, yeah. uh, the electrical side of things. And so 
I went back to school, but going back to school, it was partying a little bit. It was the college preppy type partying. Yeah. And not so much the, you know, the, the rock and roll type sure. uh, uh, scene. And so, but I, I did well uh, in college. And at the time, I, this is where I think the Lord really started working in life. Um, like my desire to, uh, to smoke cigarettes, I, I got, you know, I kicked that habit and my desire to actually smoke marijuana it went away. I, I thought, you know, I can talk to girls much easier if I'm not hot, <laughs> you know? Right. And so all these things were starting to drop off and, uh, but it still hadn't really. And I ended up being, I ended up quitting the band that we tried to make it in and ended up just forming a party band. Okay. I was in a party band and we were playing at a a bar outside of the University of Toledo. We were getting pretty popular and uh, had a number of gigs going on, having a lot of fun. And during one show on a Saturday night, uh, we were in the middle of a song. It was, uh, I believe it was Thin Lizzy's Jailbreak. Okay. And song I had played hundreds of times. Yeah. And in the middle of that song, this is about the closest I can approximate maybe what, I didn't hear an audible voice, but a thought just so overwhelmed me, it stopped me in my tracks. Mm. And it was a thought, it just came and said, Craig, I have protected you uh, all these years. I have kept you from killing anybody in drunk driving. I've kept you from killing your yourself. I've kept you out of prison and jail. I've you know kept all these things from happening to you. If you don't stop this now, you will reap what you sow. Mm. And it just floored me to the point so in the middle of playing. in the middle of the song and I stopped playing. I just it, it just struck me. I I I I froze. Mm. And I'm like oh. and then I came I I, I kind of came to and it's like what what's happening? And my band members are looking at me going, what are you doing? You know what I mean? It's just like this <laughs> silent, like, get with it. And I'm like, oh, where, where are we at in the song? Where are we at in the song? You know, and I picked it up. But from that moment on, I knew I had to give it up. I wow. knew I had to give it up. And uh, that Sunday, I remember going to church. And at Sunday dinner afterwards, we were sitting around the table. And I said, mom, dad, I need to be done with the band. I am done with all this stuff. It's time for me to give up all this foolishness. And they they were like in the middle of eating and they just kind of... <laughs> it's like a record scratch. Stop. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah. And it, it really, it was, it was like for a couple of seconds, my dad, all he says, he goes, well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> and But from then on, and then it was trying to figure out how to how to tell the guys in the band yeah, because sure. we were popular. But the Lord worked that out too. And, um, yeah. and, and then, you know, the Lord got a hold of me and, and really, and every time, so we had switched from the Baptist at this time, we were going to a Christian and Missionary Alliance church. Okay. And it's just, and I went from going just every Sunday morning on a marginal to every time the church door was open, I was there. Yeah. And, um, and how old were you when this, so you had so to be like what, early was, mid twenties? This was mid twenties. Okay. Mid twenties. And one of the funny things I remember is there was a, a family there and a couple that attended Bible study with my parents. And they, she came up to me one Sunday, you know, after this change had started and she said, Oh, we're so happy to see you in church all this time. And I've seen this change. You know, we were in a Bible study with your parents and, you know, they would constantly pray about you. And when we would leave that study, my, my husband and I, we'd go home, we'd be talking in the car and we'd praise God that our kids weren't like you. <laughs> 
And I, you know, it was funny. I mean, I, I did not take offense at that because yeah. I knew exactly what she was saying. Yeah. She probably didn't mean it as offensive. It was not meant to that be That does offensive. sound like a church thing that you, someone has said to be before too. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the, you know, just, to, and then I got involved in the Friday night Bible study okay. uh, that Dr. Forney used to lead, uh, which was very popular in Toledo. Um, yeah. It was, went on for the longest time. Um, and then I, this is, you know, my story is just an up and down. You tell me if we're going long, because I mean, <laughs> it can keep going. Um, but I, I got married yeah. and it was, um, it was not a good marriage. Yeah. And it's because of sin in my life. I was immature. I was selfish. I was irresponsible. And uh, so even after the Lord got a hold of my life, there was still baggage. There were still things that needed to be. Well, that's that's with. a good point that you make here too, is you know, and most believers know that, but for any unbelievers listening, you know, the the whole and geez, even some evangelical preachers will promise you, well, you just give your life to Christ and everything's gonna be okay. No, we still have sanctification. You still struggle with sin. You still have to be purified. There's still wisdom and discernment to grow in. There's all these things to where it's not, you know, now it is It is something special and, and big and huge in the fact that you now understand that you need a Savior. Yes. And he and he has saved you. And that is a real uh, realization. But it's not like the next day and you're like, oh, I never sin. I'm a saint now. I can walk on water and the Lord and I just hold hands and skip down the, you know, skip down the path. It's like, no, life is life and you you just like a marriage or anything else you you work at it and then also the lord sanctifies through situations in your life through studying and meditating on the word through bringing yourself under authority to those who have spiritual authority over you um to discipling and being discipled like all these things are part of the Christian walk. And I would encourage anyone listening to this too. You say, oh, you know, and I'm still doing it. It's like, no, that we we all have those things where we do, we have to release them to the Lord and and they have to be purified from us. And um, that's just being real. Mm-hmm. You know what Absolutely. I mean? And you say your life's up and down. I think most people can relate to that. It, it, you know, I don't know anyone whose life is all up or all down. We all have our highs and we have our lows. And right. you look back on your life and, and you say, you know, could have done this differently or the Lord brought me through that. But at the end of the day too, though, um, that's like one of my favorite quotes is by Charles Spurgeon that says, the sovereignty of God is the soft pillow on which I rest my head in times of trouble. So you can have a life that does this, peaks and valleys, ups and downs, but we rest in the sovereignty of God. That's right. And when we're saved, we understand, um, you know, uh, Shadrach, Neshach, and Abednego, God can save me. He will save me. But even if he doesn't, I love that little, but even if he he doesn't, doesn't. that's one of my favorites. Well, why'd they say that? They said he can, they said he's going to save, but even if he doesn't King, we're still not going to bow because God is God. That's right. And, and and he, in Christ is King and he's ruling and reigning and I serve him. So, uh, I love that you, uh, pointed that out too. like, Hey, look at ups and downs, but, um, by no means, I don't think anyone listening, especially me, are we saying, Oh, well, he still had things in his life. Even after he got, please, that's, that's all of us. Right. Right. And so that first marriage ended in divorce tragically. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it, and then there was more sin beyond that. Yeah. And it just, you know, and so it really was ups and downs. 
Um, when so your first marriage were you in your twenties? Were you like yes, late twenties then yes, at that point? Yeah, yeah. Uh, mid twenties. Mid twenties. Okay, married and it just yeah. Uh, there was just again sin in my life that just was not dealt with that should have been. In, yeah, and and uh, it, I did not. I was not responsible in acting on it. You know, uh, as yeah. I should. Yeah, I really. And you know, I thought I was ready for marriage and I wasn't. Yeah, and um, it it ended in divorce and um, then there was more sin and but confession yeah. and then the lord brought me out of that again yeah. and okay. uh it was um so then I started reattending the Friday night Bible study, okay. which was still going on. And, um, but I didn't want to, you know, being divorced, I did not pursue remarriage. Uh, I thought if there's any chance of, of reconciliation, I wasn't going to put the stumbling block in the way by okay. doing that. Yeah. And so, but after 10 years, my ex-wife remarried. And so I thought, you know, do, you know, I, I see women at this study, one of whom is now my current wife, yeah. um, that I, that are attractive, yeah. but I didn't want to lead them on in a dating relationship, you know, and try to, uh, you know, and make them think something could happen when it couldn't. Right. And so I, I never dated. What I did is I talked to pastor David okay. I, and I asked him, I said, do from a biblical standpoint, do I have the ability? to remarry, you know, yeah. knowing what you know. And so he uh, said, well, I t- we'll take this to the elder board and we'll discuss it and I'll get back with you, but know that you won't be the first topic of discussion at the elder board meeting. Okay. And so I said, okay. And then, so he goes, we're also going to have to talk with your ex-wife. We're going to have to talk with some other people and uh, I'm going to have you do some things. One of which several months down the road, he had me write a 10,000 word paper on first Corinthians seven. Um, Wow, and you know there is there is some things that he had me do, but it gets to be about eight months, which is humbling, by the way. It is. And you talking publicly about um, submitting to authority, it's it's insane. If you go out and look at just about every other, and I keep saying evangelical church, but kind of that non denominational, even the the sixty percent of churches really now, yes, uh, in the United States, there is really no form of church discipline. There's no form of submitting under a spiritual authority. There's no uh, form of correction. And then we wonder, look at all these churches just going awry and the leaders failing morally and, and the the congregants doing essentially whatever they want. No confession of sin, no discipleship. And um, so I really appreciate you even talking about this on this podcast of saying, well, yeah, I had I, I humbled myself and I knew that I had some issues in the divorce and had some maybe had some culpability in that. So I had to submit myself to authority mm-hmm. and do the things that my elders and my pastor said. Right. Um, I think probably for the majority of Christians, they would look at you and that go to those non-denominational churches and go, what? I've never had a pastor. Unless it's something egregious, right? Right. The guy's in the congregation sleeping around and everyone knows it. Then the pastor, they usually just kick you out, you know? But never is there like, well, do I have biblical standing for this action that I'm going to do? I want to check with my pastor and my elders. That doesn't go on a whole lot in churches nowadays. That's why I think it's also very, it's something special at Christ the Word too, which I really appreciate. Yes. And, you know, so so this went on. So eight months into it, you know, I'm getting a little antsy. <laughs> a year into this, it's like, are they, are they talking about this? I mean, come on, you know, it was a year. Oh, so you didn't get any so answer I didn't for get a an year answer yet? And I'm sitting here just waiting. And it's like, do I mention something? Do I say something? Wow. Sixteen months after I said, I finally came up to him. I said, David. 
do I do I or don't I? You know, <laughs> yeah. have this biblical ability to read Verity <laughs> goes, we have discussed it and we think that you are you know, yeah. from a biblical standpoint, you are able to remarry. Yeah. And uh I Did he so, ever tell you why he made you wait sixteen months? No. You think that I, was part I, of the test? I, it, well, <laughs> no, you just, never know. Just kidding. I you know, but yeah. um it, it, at that point I, I already had so my beautiful wife Martha was yeah. already on my radar. Yeah. And uh Well she she was on your radar. That's why you asked because she was kind of on your radar before that's correct. the 16 months. Yes. That's got to be extra hard. So too, like. it was like, but again, I mean, we had done things as friends, sure, but I couldn't just say, Hey, you know, yeah, yeah I don't, you know, you don't know what the I, end's going to be there. So you didn't want to lead on and, you know, present something that might not happen. Yeah, exactly. So it was shortly after that, that, um, so my sister Lisa was friends with her too. So I, uh, had her over for dinner with Lisa once yeah. and then, um, as as dinner was ending, Lisa, you know, just made her way out, you know, the room <laughs> casually, and uh, Martha and I went out to her car, and and uh, I said, "Hey, I got a I got a question for you," and I kind of <laughs> think Martha knew what was coming, but you know, and then all of a sudden, I see this scratch in her car. She had a new car, and I see the scratch. I was like, "What happened here?" And she goes, "Don't worry about the scratch. Ask me the question." <laughs> yeah, and I said, "Have you ever thought about dating?" And she goes, "Yeah, yeah that was that was her." That sounds like her. But, yeah. Right after that, she said, but not if there's not, if there's not an intent to marry. That was, that was right away her. And I said, yep, that's my intent. And then I explained, you know, that I had gone to the The process, the the process that I had gone through. Interesting. And that, you know, she, she knew about the divorce. She, she knew a lot of what had happened and that just went a long way in calming her fears about, you know, is she doing something wrong by marrying a divorced man? Yeah. You know, it's funny. (laughs) I, keep going back to this, but just by you talking that way, I know so many, so many believers that wouldn't even think twice about any of this. I got divorced. I'll go, I need to get remarried. Makes me feel good. I, I need a partner. I need someone to help me with life. I mean, that's really how the majority of Christians view marriage. They don't view it as a covenant before God and man, more importantly, before God. And uh, it's just a very sad state of affairs. I mean, I'm really uh, blessed to hear your testimony and even in that part of your life, how carefully you treated that. Uh, Samantha and I are both uh, results of divorce. Her, her parents are divorced and mine are divorced. And we would wish that on no, and I'm, and I also have um, stepsisters as well, blended family. Mm-hmm. I'll, actually, a lot of our testimony is very similar. I was hear, hearing you uh, say it. I go, geez, man, we could be twins on some of the stuff. Um, I said the sinner's prayer at seven. I say I got saved at 24. That's my kind of my saying. Uh, you know, rebelled and uh, parents divorced. None of, neither of them passed away, but uh, rebelled and, you know, was in a band and traveled and did all that stuff and really didn't care if I lived or died. I mean, I put every type of drug I could find in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look back on it, I probably was just saying, well, if I die, I die, whatever. I don't, you know, that was whether you call that depression or anarchy or, I mean, it really, it, but I mean, sin does lead to death. Yes. In all forms, spiritual death, physical death, it almost sin and death embrace each other many times. They they like each other. Oh yes. Um, and even though it seems like fun when we do some of these sinful acts, it's death right next to sin. Going, yep, just take it a little farther, keep going, because at the at the foundation of all sin it is death, and it. And you don't really, you almost some, if you get deep enough in, you don't really care. That's how, that's how I was. I didn't care if I lived or died. It was like almost like a really weird, like I said, like anarchist kind of attitude, like live for today. Like, you know what I mean? That's exactly how I felt. And it was, 
but anyway, so listening to your testimony, um, it's just in being a product of divorce too. And I, you know, and I have a great relationship with my father and my mother and even my stepdad as well, but it's just, and it's just, it's tough on children. And then in your, your story compacted with the death of a mother at a young age, I could only imagine the turmoil and the hurt. And, you know, on this podcast, I always say, we, sometimes we give the devil way too much credit. You know, that who was the famous comedian that had the, the devil made me do it? Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson. Thank you. Uh, and I go, no, sometimes you just have fleshly and sinful desires and you act upon them, right? right. The devil does. But I believe, you know, metaphorically speaking, the devil's down there rubbing his hands together every time he sees a divorce because he goes, all right, boys, we got opportunities here. Let's go make it happen. We, we don't we don't necessarily need to, you know, uh, kill that young man, but we, we can maim him for a good long while. We can, um, you know, drown him in all kinds of doubt and depression and drugs and addiction and and all these things and, and uh, make him think that God is far from him when in fact we know um, God is close to the brokenhearted. That's right. The Bible right. says. Absolutely. Um, and that that's part of my testimony is uh, not having a job, a girlfriend, a house, money, a car, a band, a place to live, uh, but I still had Christ. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, that's the only thing that will never change. That's right. Christ alone. And that was the night that I look and I actually had a heart, uh, you know, heart transplant, as they say, a regeneration of the spirit. Um but so yeah, so you you had the full the full gambit. So grew up in church, but then you know, man, with life comes at you. And I think it's for anyone listening to, um, we should emphasize that one, um, the goodness of God, even throughout periods in our periods in our life when we are not serving, loving Him, and and raging against Him, because that was my experience too. I don't know if that was yours, but I would see time and time again the goodness of God, even though I was His enemy, right? And, and the Bible says that He loved us when we were still His enemy. That's right. I had a preacher tell me once, and I was probably I don't know eighteen, nineteen, and I was going through the motions of every once in a while I'd go to church to appease my parents, even mm-hmm. though I was kicked out, you know, put on the facade like, oh. Oh, maybe I'm doing something with my life, going to church high or, you know, stoned or whatever. And the, the preacher said, you know, um, you don't, you don't do something good and then go, oh, well, I did something good. So now God's going to bless me. And it's, it's like a balance sheet. He goes, God saved you when you still hated him. Right. He's already been in your next week. He already knows the sin you're going to commit next week. He's all knowing. He sits outside of time. He's right next to you in that atrocious sin that you're going to commit, yet he still blesses you and loves you today. On Tuesday, even though on Thursday, you're going to be a real butthole. Right. You know what I mean, Ralph? Absolutely. <laughs> said, yeah. And, and it just, and it made me think, I went, oh, yeah, I, I serve a omni, you know, omnipresent, omniscient, uh, all-knowing God that time is not relative to him. He knows everything that I've done, um, everything I'm going to do, and still chooses to show me grace and mercy, even when I hate him. And I think that's really, that's a point that you can't, you just can't make fine enough because I yeah. look at all of my rebelliousness mm. and sin and all the grace and the mercy he's shown me. Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, you think about the definitions of grace and mercy and they're undeserved. And yeah. I'm certainly undeserving of all that he's blessed me with. You know, Martha and I celebrated our 15 year anniversary back in May and just the daily blessing of being married to her. I've had yeah. 15 years of happiness. I just can't, you know, yeah. 
non-drug-related happiness. I mean, just absolute <laughs> right. genuine happiness, you know, in the Lord, Yeah, you know, with her. And, um, you know, it's all because of God's grace and mercy. Yeah. All right. So let's put bookends on this. If someone's listening and let's say, because um, we're, we're two older dudes with a little bit of experience underneath our belt, but let's say someone who's listening a little bit younger, maybe going through this right now or even experienced a divorce in their family or wrestling with... Um, you know, sin in their life or, or just not, um, serving the Lord the way they should be. What what would be some advice that you would give them as someone, uh, who is older and wiser and, and I say wiser through the experiences and through, um, you know, the goodness of God, what kind of advice would you give to them, um, as, as a, as their older mentor, let's say. Find a godly man that you can talk to and, mm. and relate to, um, you know, stay away from sin. Yeah. Sin is stupid. Sin is insanity, <laughs> yeah. you know, quite honestly. But, you know, there are guys out there, you know, who, who have dealt with things. Look, you know, that's why I look for the young guys at church yeah. and, you know, I want to speak truth to them and yeah. exhort them to, you know, don't go down a bad path. And if yeah. you're hurting, if something's going on, you know, tell me, we'll pray about it. Yeah. Be in the word. I will pray for you. I'll encourage you. You know, and so that would be, you know, probably the major thing is look for a godly man, a godly older man who can mentor you and yeah. guide you. Counsel you. Counsel and, you. Yeah. Yeah. Proverbs talks about, um, <clears throat> you know, a good friend is closer than a brother and how adversity brings that bond together too. Um, but it is, it's discipleship. Uh, I know the world calls it mentorship. We just had a conversation about that on another episode, but um, the discipleship, accountability. And I think, tell me what you think about this, but I'm the same way in, I can probably count the two or three men in my life throughout my walk that have truly impacted my life just by be- being someone that could counsel me. Yes. And and sometimes the Lord would just bring them into my life for a season. There's there's a few guys that I talk to, I've only talked to maybe six or seven times, but they were at that specific time. Now, when I say six or seven times, maybe, you know, over a period of six months or something through, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like almost periods in my life. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're out golfing together or, you know, eating dinner or having the families over, but the Lord has moved them into my life in a time when I needed counsel, um, will maybe move them back out for a while. And they're very important to me and they've impacted my life greatly. So it's like, what you said is, is so true for those listening to like find someone that can ho- not only hold you accountable, but that can also counsel and disciple you as well. I think that's, that's really good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that takes us through almost, um, to right to this moment. No. <laughs> uh, so married for 15 years, life is good. You're serving the Lord. You look back on your life and you're just grateful, right? That the Lord chose to save you. I am so grateful, yes. <laughs> which is funny because I, on a side note, and we'll end this here, but, uh, on a side note, I always meet people when, when I tell them about like reformed theology and doctrines of grace and we get talking about Calvinism, like, oh, you got, you guys are just so, they're just so prideful. Like, oh, the Lord chose me. And it's like, I don't think I've met one person who subscribes to reformed tradition that talks that way. It's the exact opposite. They understand how sinful I'm a wretched, depraved, horrible person without Christ. I would choose everything bad and sinful because I want it because that's my nature. I go after it. If I can cheat someone, even if it's a little bit, I'll do it and not think twice about it. 
about it, steal, you know, gossip, all these things. I know the wretch that I am, you know, much like John Newton said, the the famous shipmaster and writer of Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me. I mean, That's he used right. to he used to take clubs when he ran slave ships and he would just beat them at the knees and laugh about it. He would he would take out their knees and bust their kneecaps and then he becomes saved and then he becomes an abolitionist, which is a beautiful story. But when you sing saved a wretch like me, John Newton reform, by the way, for those of you listening, um, that's what he's saying. Right. Like this, that's what's amazing about this grace because I know the wretch I was. So just a little side note there. I I don't like you. I don't think I've ever met someone in the reformed faith that goes, oh yes, God uh, chose me because of my, uh, you know, because of all my personality and my character traits and my work ethic. It's like, no, no, we live a life of gratefulness because we go, there's no reason why we should have been chosen. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Total agreement. Cool. Anything else before we go? Oh, no, just like to say <laughs> hi to my wife, Martha, and uh, I'll yeah. see you in a little bit. And we, yeah, and we, <laughs> we, uh, we love Martha too when we get to hang out with you guys. Um, she's such a wonderful lady, and I know my wife just loves her too. They got some stuff in common with their plants and other things too. Right. So. And she did tell you that she gets most of her current events news from you, anyways, right? <laughs> <laughs> she told me that in church. I was like, Martha, if you're getting current events from me, you need to get a, at least another source. I'm, I appreciate it. Uh, that's very kind of you, but yeah. No, she uh, she loves she loves uh, listening. So cool. Um, all right, guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode. Craig, thanks for sitting down with us and taking time and just My talking pleasure. about the Lord and uh, glorifying Him through testimony and and telling other people what the Lord has done for you. I really appreciate you as a friend. Um, Likewise, and, and uh, I know we're going to have a lot of fun together in the future. And come back on any time. Maybe we can talk about something else. I I'm uh, your next. Your book is next up. So on my, on, I had 12 going and they keep moving up. So I'm going to get to it. And uh, maybe we even talk about that. Oh, uh, we could. Next time or you something. do know I, I know. wrote another book. No, I, I don't. I only I have actually, the one you gave so, me. No, the other book was just about the memoirs of my childhood because Martha could never believe that I actually survived. <laughs> <laughs> what's, it, what's it called? I survived. You know, it's actually called I'm telling. I'm telling. <laughs> That's funny. Wait, what, what order and birth order were you? Were you? I was oldest? middle. You're middle. Oh, so of course you're telling. Yes, you're middle. You bet. Yeah. <laughs> Born always tattles. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of Deadman Walking Podcast. As always, you can find us on social media, Deadman Walking. Uh, podcast just google it twitter's the only one that we're not there on it's uh dm real dmw podcast they wouldn't give us dead men walking but um other than that or you can just check us out at dmwpodcast.com we have all kinds of shirts there too i'm wearing one of the ones that we have this is the um the the rainbow reformers t-shirt we just put out a presbyterian thug life with a special picture on it you can go check that out of course james white's uh uh, camper shirt, which anything we sell proceeds goes to Alpha and Omega Ministries to help support him. Um, getting real in the fifth wheel T-shirt. He's out there on the road, and uh, all the other T-shirts help support the show. We're going to have conferences coming up in October, where we're going to be down in. Uh, Kentucky at the Fight Laugh Feast. I've got one coming up with Jeffrey Rice in February, so it's a little farther out. Um, we're gonna, and I'm gonna be moderating the documentary Why Calvinism, so you guys can catch me there and moderating that um, debate. And then, or the, I'm sorry, the event. And there will be a debate there with James White. And then we got our men's conference coming up, um, which I was fortunate enough to be on the panel. So I'm gonna bring some of that information back to you guys too, and hopefully we'll have some video clips and stuff and some audio 
audio we can share of um, Christ the Words uh, Men's Conference. So, guys, we got a lot of stuff coming up, a lot of stuff going on. Thanks for listening. Share with a friend. All glory to God. And remember, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God bless. Be sure to check us out at dmwpodcast.com where you can purchase the best and snarkiest merch on the internet, support the show, and leave us a review or message. Dead Men Walking can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Dead Men Walking Podcast and on Twitter X at Real DMW Podcast. The Dead Men Walking Podcast is part of the Fight Laugh Feast Network. For exclusive show content, be sure to download the Pub TV app and become a member. If you're a business that needs to reach hundreds of thousands of potential customers in your demographic, podcast advertising might be for you. Send all inquiries to Dead Men Walking Podcast at gmail.com. None your biscuits.